you got to know that you can grow and that you can f- come back from failure and that you can push yourself really, really hard. We don't encourage girls to think that they should be winners in a bunch of different areas. I think that's why sports are so good. But if we can tell girls that, yeah, you should be a winner by getting the salary that you want. Or, you know, if you don't want a career, you know, be the best, you know, non-career person that you can be. I mean, it really, I think just pushing, pushing girls as much as you would push boys. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. (laughs) It's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realized it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Have you noticed all the plants here? Mm-hmm. They look great. Can't wait to get my new apartment and to put tons of plants in. It takes care of like... 10 things that I was thinking of getting that were not living. Mm. Like one plant kind of takes care of it. Yeah. They're so (laughs) great. I went a little crazy the other day. I love them all. They look great. Thanks. Who was it we talking to the other day that talks to their plants? Maybe it was someone in the group, but they were saying that they talk to their plants, which Mm -hmm. is cool. I was like, oh, I love that. Sometimes they talk to trees. They have personalities. Mm -hmm. This one in the corner, this one over here. Mm, that one? It's like a big fat one. I just feel like it's a big woman. This one? Mm-hmm. No. I don't think she wants you to call her big like that. <laughs> uh, she's pissed. No, but she's just like full. Yeah, she's full. Same. Fucking Same, honey. Love her. Same, honey. She's my spirit plant. <laughs> we are full. Welcome this to the podcast. 30. Hey guys, it's us. If it's your first time listening to Almost 30 Podcast, we're so happy you're here. You should join our secret Facebook group to see what we're all about. That's a good example of the authenticity, vulnerability, um, smart, driven people that we surround ourselves with and that we have on the podcast. Yeah. And you can come and visit us on tour. Yep. Um, hopefully if you're near one of the cities that we're visiting on this leg of the tour, uh, please come out. We are just overwhelmed by the love and the support. And it is always a very um, connected uh, experience. People yeah. walk away with like new friends and yeah. insight and perspective and it's a new community. The so. messages that we got after San Francisco and Toronto and Chicago have been incredible. Yeah. You know, so really just providing a space for women to connect in a real way. Um, and it feels really good. It does. Do you just want to hop into it? Yeah, we got a pioneer. She's a pie, a fucking ear. Pioneer. She's uh, younger than us. What? <laughs> it's actually crazy. What? She has Whenever this... anyone that I see on TV is younger than me, I'm confused. Well, I've actually met a lot of them lately. And, and this, that, yeah, like this generation, like yeah. generation Y, X. I generation think Z. they're still in our generation. Four I, years? 25. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking of early 20s. Because anyway. Chloe's in our generation, right? Or no? Is she generation? No, I think she's not. Gen Z? Gen Z. She's Gen Z. I was very close. X, Y. Yeah. 
But we have Julia Landauer on the podcast today. Uh, she is um, a decorated mm-hmm. uh, NASCAR driver. I mean, cool. Huh? How do you become a woman in that field? I think that is so. She started when crazy. she was a kid. Wow! Like you have. To, I think with things that are so unique like this, and you're paving the way as a woman too. Like it needs to be in your DNA. A from a very young, young age. And she's so smart. Mm. She went to Stanford. Wow. Um, she's just really uh, standing in her strengths and her light and paving the way, not only for female race car drivers, um, but just for females who are, you know, wanting to really live in their truth and what really makes them happy. Um, so I know you will enjoy this conversation. It's actually just Julia and I, uh, we had a great chat. Um, and thanks to James Higa for connecting us. Our Mm -hmm. friend James connected us to Julia Landauer and let us know what you think. Join our secret Facebook group. We love you guys. And we are here. You guys, this is such a long, I actually don't even think you know how much time this has been like in the works because I've been talking to, okay. So guys, I have Julia Landauer here. This is a really big deal. Um, our mutual friend, James, uh, introduced us a while ago when I was having dinner with James that night. He's like, you have to meet my friend, Julia. She is a powerhouse in NASCAR and empowering women all over the world. And obviously my freaking heart just lit up and she's here. She is here. Um, I'm just in awe. One, you're 26. (laughs) I'm going to pass out. You're 26. You have already had what? 14, 15 years of racing experience. Yeah, 15 this year. Can you believe it? I mean, that's that's more than half your life. Yep. I got to do the math. Um, so we'll talk about that. I, you know, I, I, I've been learning more and more about NASCAR just through friends that are interested in it. And I actually went to a race recently. Oh, and, cool. um, so I'm like, how, and when do you start this? Like how young do you have to be? What does it look like to start in this, in this business? But you have been named one of the most promising drivers in the country, obviously. And um, you're a two-time NASCAR champion uh, driver from New York City, which is where I am from. And we're just so excited to have you. Oh, thank you so yeah. much for having me. I mean, so, this is so cool. I'm so glad James introduced us. I and know. when I learned more about you guys in your podcast, I mean, I just thought, wow, they are bringing some really cool people together. So Thanks. to be able to be a part of this is really exciting. Yeah, well, it's meant to be. Um, we have so many uh, women in our uh, community who are one, like pushing the envelope, pursuing their dreams and really finally asking for what they want. Um, and I know you've had to do that and continue to do that in a male dominated industry, but I'd love to kind of go back, like how the hell do you get into this industry and like what type of, um, upbringing 
like set the stage, like yeah. set the tone, give us the story. Yeah, you bet. So uh, fairly atypical to be a New Yorker who, you know, is a go-kart or a race yeah. car driver. But that's how I started in go-karts. And my parents were actually looking for an activity where there are three kids, my sister and brother and I, where we could do something together on the weekends, but then also something specifically where their girls could compete head-to-head against the boys. And so racing and, and motorsports are one of the few fields and sports where Mm. girls compete with boys to the top level. So uh, we started, I loved it. I loved being able to go really fast. I really loved working with adults and I loved winning. I loved the feeling of having everything come together. And it was really cool at age 10 to beat the boys and be like, oh, wow, this is significant. Like this is, this is different. So Mm. it was really, really cool. And then I basically decided when I was 12 that I was the happiest when I was at the track. And I really wanted to figure out how I could be professional because I'd read about other younger teenagers who were pushing or pursuing racing professionally. And I was like, if they can do it, I can do it. Um, so I worked with my parents and kind of started on Formula Car Track, which is left and right turns. And then when I was about 16, um, kind of made the transition more to NASCAR style racing and balanced that with high school, balanced that with college. And then when I graduated in 2014, I moved down to North Carolina, which is kind of the heart of NASCAR. Mm. And that's where I've been ever since. Wow. So, so for those of our listeners who don't know, what is the difference? What is like the go-kart part of your life? Like part of your journey look like, and one, what's, what kind of like differentiated like you from everyone, all the other kids? Yeah. So go-karting, it's not really like bumper cars like you see at some arcades, but like some of the, you know, indoor karting that has, you know, kind of pretty fast go-karts and uh, really low to the ground. Uh, But the fastest I've gone in a go-kart is 90 miles an hour, which it's convincing. It's, you know, a couple hundred pound go-kart. And, um, but they do it competitively nationally and they're purpose-built racetracks that are in, you know, different parts of the country where they'll have series that rent the track and then you go and compete and there are different divisions based on your age. You know, it's, it's really competitive and you have people who do it full time and um, probably it's probably been the most fun racing. And I think people will say mm-hmm. that in most activities, like the grassroots level is kind of the most fun, uh, the most pure in a sense. Um, you don't have as many of the politics or like the cost of racing or anything. So that was great. And then um, I forget the second half of your yeah, question. Just like what, you know, you said you started to win and you were like beating the boys, like what's set you apart? Yeah. So I think Kind of like any athlete, there's just some X factor that makes you yes. really good. You know, you could be a really tall person and not be able to play basketball really well, or you could be great. So there are some traits like quick reaction times, you know, um, the ability to take in a lot of different inputs at one time and make the right decision, you know, aggression when necessary, being able to go out and, you know, adaptability is, you know, the cart, cha- the vehicle will change over the course of the race and the track conditions will change. So being uh, sensitive to that, but there is an X factor, you know, some, you know, racers that, you know, you'll, you'll make up a space where you can squeeze into what you shouldn't be able to do. You know, just like, there's this, you just make things happen. Mm. And I think there is that X factor, but um, I mean, there are a lot of different things that go into being a racer and yeah. And then take us into formula one. So what's the difference? How does the car change and how do the tracks change? Yeah. So formula cars, formula one is the top level of the formula car type of racing. That just means like, if you think of Indy 500, the kind of the really skinny cars with the wheels that are exposed, that's, um, they go a lot of times on left and right turn. So it's a type of race car. That is uh, one type of racing. It's a little less big in the United States. And so when I was thinking, okay, how do I want to do this professionally? Um, NASCAR has a much bigger presence in the U.S. and uh, theoretically um, a bigger market for it when it comes to trying to secure sponsors. 
and NASCAR cars look like a more traditional street car with, you know, fenders and everything. And we primarily race on ovals. So it was funny too, because from a, from just a driving standpoint, I kind of think like being able to go left and right in different types of turns are more technically satisfying to drive, Mm -hmm. but the racing on ovals is more exciting for me because you can be side by side with someone for laps on end. It's like a game of chicken, like who's going to mess up first? Who's going to get the advantage? And it's just, you're doing this with a 3,400 pound machine when it's 130 degrees in the car for hours on end. And it's just, it's, it's thrilling. Yeah. How many hours? The longest I've race, race I've been in, it was like two and a half hours, but oh like the top level of NASCAR races for three to four hours. Wow. And it's just like, <laughs> wow. What sweat type of a preparation goes in? Cause I think about it. I'm like, okay, so you're in a car, you know, you're not. Yeah. Just driving down the highway. You're, yeah, you're not like <laughs> physically running or anything like that, but I know it is a very physical sport, but also, you know, like the the capacity to focus for that long must be really, really challenging. Like what do you do to prepare? Yeah, that's a great question. And so the, the picture I like to paint is imagine that you are, you know, you're strapped really tightly into a car. You're still muscling around 3,400 pounds of machine, the motors up front. So it's really hot in the cockpit. You don't have air conditioning and uh, (laughs) weight you know, efficiency of the machine. Yeah. You want all the energy to go towards the power. And there are some cool cooling techniques that you can use, but but it's hot in the car and you're fully dressed and you're fighting the G forces of the turn. So there is upper body strength needed. And you just, any, like whenever you do anything intensely, whether it's writing an essay, taking a test, you know, something that's not like a physical activity, when you're putting that much mental effort into it, you get really tired. So you're doing the physical fatiguing of yourself in the car with the heat, but then also the mental issue of you know, how do I, racing, like any competition, I need to make sure my line is perfect, my brake points are perfect, my acceleration points are perfect. And, you know, if there's anything wrong with the car, if it's not handling properly, you need to adjust for that. So you're doing that for hours. I mean, it's, it's so exhausting and, um, and it's fast and everything's vibrating and it's loud. I mean, it's really, you, you take a beating every time you get in the race car and, um, so for training, I do a combination of uh, strength and cardio and try and train for endurance and doing heat training. I mean, I mm. live in North Carolina now, so summer is kind of the best time for training because you go outside and it's humid and you can't breathe well. And it's like, all right, this is good. This is yeah. training me for the car. So, um, But it is cool because it's not brute strength, which means that men and women can compete and women can get strong enough in the way they need to to race a car. Yeah. Why, why is it that women, that there have been so few women to, um, you know, rise in the ranks in NASCAR? Why do you think? I mean, I think there are a lot of, it's such a loaded question, even though it should be so easy to answer, but I think it's a combination of things. I think one racing has, is always expensive, right? Even at the go-kart level, there's a cost Mm -hmm. to racing. You can't just buy your equipment one time and then go practice. You can't practice every day. So it's just, there is a higher barrier to entry. And so if a family can only afford to have one person go and go karting or one kid, I think just traditionally it's been the boy. And I think culturally there is that. I think, you know, having been in a bunch of different types of racing um, scenarios, I, it's still, you are a woman in a male dominated field. And sometimes you do feel like an outsider. Sometimes it's just really unpleasant to, you know, have to either deal with or just, you know, ignore some of the, you know, unpleasantries of being in an all-male environment. I mean, it's just, if you, I think I'd like to tell like any guy, if they were to walk into like a house party at home with like all, with like their wives and all of their friends who were talking about something they were less familiar with, or they just felt outnumbered, you're going to feel intimidated to a certain extent. So there is the cultural part. And 
I don't know. I mean, there are only, you know, there are only 40 top level professional NASCAR drivers in the world. So it's just slim pickings anyway. And I mm-hmm. think, um, I think also this is a long answer, but I think also that, you know, there's a saying, if she can see it, she can be it. And so I think a lot of girls and parents of girls just don't, it doesn't even occur to them that they could be race car drivers. I think Danica helped with that a lot. But like, even if you just think from the engineering side, the crew chiefs, the the lead engineers on the cars, you don't see women doing that. You don't see very many women mechanics. So you just don't think it's a possibility. And I think that's what I hope that we can continue to try to change. Like in terms of the crew, because I would think that they, you know, your life has kind of been their hands in a way, you know? Mm -hmm, Totally. what do you call it when you like kind of go off and you change the tires and do all the things? Pit stop. Pit stop. Pit stop. Okay. <laughs> I knew that. But you like, knew just, it. You knew it. That's okay. okay. Everyone needs reminders. Um, but I can imagine like, what did it, what was it like? Like when you first stepped into the professional space as a female driver and having probably, I'm guessing mainly male pit crew. Yeah. Like what was that like? You know, no one's ever worded the question like that towards me, but I think it's really a good one because I do think, um, you know, and I've had a really good resume. I have two championships. I have dozens of wins and, um, but there is a difference. I think when I, as a female approach a team for the first time, And I think because there are not a lot of examples of women being successful in racing, even if I have a resume, I think there's still this kind of preconceived notion that, all right, we might not be competitive all the time. And I think, and I think a lot of that could be subconscious. I don't necessarily think it's malicious Mm -hmm. towards me, but if you can tell if your crew is not putting in that extra little bit of effort to make it happen, you know, if they are hungry for the win and they know that they can get it anyone in any field will go above and beyond to make it happen. And I have found that I've had to work harder to earn their respect, to have them believe that we can do it. And I've had to... What have, does that look like? So it depends. It depends on the people, right? Totally. So in 2015, when I won my NASCAR track championship, I walked into the team and his name was Lee Pulliam and he was a racer and a champion himself. And he took the position that he knew that he had great equipment and he had great people and he expected that I would do great on track. And that was so cool because Mm. it was expected that I would live up to the potential that I have and the expectations that he had. And we won half the races and got the championship. And um, it's also just like recognizing that confidence in me also helps. But then there have been other teams where I just feel like I have to kind of show all of the work I'm putting in and, you know, learn to kind of, you know, be able to joke with them or be able to, it, it depends on what the individual needs are. And that was something I've learned over the past couple of years, like how to identify the individual needs of everyone on my team, whether mm. they need me to pump them up and really rah-rah and just get excited, or if it's a more methodical approach and tell them what I've done for prep for the whole week. So you kind of have to be this incredible team leader. But I think that's what women are so good at. I think we're really they good at it so too. good at multitasking and being, you know, emotionally connected to like the people around them. And I think like that is like your secret sauce. I had never not thought only, of it like that. Not only that, but yeah. you are so talented, but like I can imagine that if you are a pit crew, no matter if you are a a male or female, if you're a member of a pit crew, that you want to be seen, you want to be like kind of taken care of in a way and also like riled up by your leader, you know, and there's just all of these things that maybe, and I don't know, I don't know as like a male race car driver, but I can imagine that sometimes the adrenaline of what's going on, 
they might lose the sense of, you know, these are humans like helping these machines go, but I don't know. I mean, and there are plenty of, yeah. And there are plenty of male drivers who are, you, you, they're known for being incredible with their Mm -hmm. teams. And, but I think also some of it goes to, um, you know, just even knowing how to celebrate when there's a win. I don't feel like necessarily guys are always comfortable celebrating the way they would when there's a woman around or, you know, kind of keeping people in check. And what I've just tried to do is like, you know, treat me like the person that you would want to be treated as, you know, and if, and I try to be open with my team and, and like open for feedback and try to be as human as possible. It's like, like, here's what I think we need to do as a team. Please let me know what you think I need to do as a driver. Like if Mm -hmm. you need something else from me, let me know. And I just try to set that standard that it should be that open communication and, you know, we should be comfortable because we all, we all have the goal of wanting to win. Right. Right. And so if we can make everyone better, It'll make us all better as a team and then we're more likely to win and then everyone's happy. So it's kind of gearing everyone up to see that common goal. Sure. Did you have any setbacks during that time? Like as you were kind of transitioning from Formula One to NASCAR, is there anything that sticks out as kind of like a turning point? It was a pretty slow transition. And like while I was in college, I only raced during the summer. So it was just, um, it was just a little bit slower. And I think there wasn't, there weren't huge setbacks beyond like normal season lulls. Like, you know, even in that season where I won a championship, we had two races, two or three races in a row where we didn't perform as much as, we, as well as we wanted. And we had a crash that hurt us and we had an issue with technical components. And so just learning how to rile everyone back up and, you know, that perseverance is super important and optimism. And luckily I think I'm a very optimistic person. And mm-hmm. so that's, I think that's helped and that's been kind of contagious on teams, but the transition, I mean, it's a different, very different style of driving and different style of racing. But I don't know, I've always raced so many different types of vehicles in my career that I feel like I adapted decently well. Mm. Okay, I want to go back a little bit because it's really interesting to me that your parents like raised a daughter to be so confident and competitive in a healthy way. I'm just like curious, like as you, when you look back, like what really worked in your upbringing and also like, what do you feel like if you're going to have kids or maybe you see, you know, your friends having children and and raising daughters perhaps that like could make the difference as women become more empowered and just like take on the world. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I look back, I'm like, oh my goodness, how am I ever going to do as well as my parents? Like they, um... I, you know, I really, it took, it took growing up a little bit more and kind of realizing how incredible they were. And I think the big things, and, you know, I'm saying this as someone who has not parented, so I don't know what the reality Mm -hmm. of, of the situation is, but the big thing was that, I mean, they pushed us, it's me, my sister, and my brother, and my parents both pushed us to really push out of our comfort zone. Like when we didn't want to do something or we were scared to do something, we had to go do it anyway and figure it out. And we were held to that high standard. We were held to ha- high academic standards, um, physical standards, just like learning where your limits are and like how you bounce back from from doing something uh, that didn't go well. You know, I really appreciate that my parents never stepped in to interfere with anyone that we were dating. Like, you know, we learned, we just learned how to date and, you know, how to bounce back from heartbreak and how to read people and try to learn about people mm. and build relationships. And 
I think all of that's really important. And while I was in, while I was at Stanford, I read a lot of studies about how, um, you know, how women and girls are held back. So the one, one study that really angers me is that when researchers asked mothers to set a ramp, however steep they thought their toddler could climb up, they overestimated their boys' abilities and set the ramp higher. And they underestimated their girls' abilities and set the ramp lower. And I think that is, you know, just a theme, like we try to protect our daughters and in trying to protect them, I think we really hinder their ability to be comfortable in the uncomfortable zone and to, mm-hmm. again, just bounce back. And I think that's such an important skill. And if you would force your, if you would have your sons do physical labor, have your daughters do physical labor too. If you would have, I think household chores are really important spaces to treat people equally or, you know, have girls and boys mix up the jobs. And I don't know, there's just, you got to know that you can grow and that you can f- come back from failure and that you can push yourself really, really hard mm. and expect a lot of yourself. And I think um, we don't we don't encourage girls to think that they should be winners in a bunch of different areas. I think that's why sports are so good. But if we can tell girls that, yeah, you should be a winner by getting the salary that you want, or you should be a winner by, you know, striving for the career that you want. Or, you know, if you don't want a career, you know, be the best, you know, non-career person that you can be. I mean, it really... I think just pushing, pushing girls as much as you would push boys yeah, and, and treating and kids, I think can feel when, especially siblings, when they're being treated differently. So even if it's, a, if it's an inadvertent expecting your boys to do things and not your girls, they will internalize that difference. And then it'll like, that'll be with them as they grow. So I think as much as you can be equal. Of course. And to really feel your potential at such a young age, I think is, is such a gift. And, you know, parents obviously are kind of the captains of that, you know, transformation, but was there anyone else who saw your potential that really sticks out? Oh yeah. And, um, I didn't realize it until I started thinking about male allies more recently, Mm. but, um, I learned that when I was about 12, I had won a local go-kart championship and we had gone to the teams that ran national level teams and no one wanted to work with me just because I was a 12-year-old girl. And my parents didn't tell me this at the time. They just, you know, made up some excuse. But we found a guy who was a world karting champion back in his day. And he, uh, I guess my parents were telling them him about our dilemma. And he, you know, saw the potential and saw the raw talent. And he, um, he was like, well, then let's build our own team. And we were super successful and he was just a huge ally and he believed in me and, you know, various mentors and Lynn St. James is a retired female racer and mm. she has been so beneficial. And and the I've had a handful of team owners who just, you know, they see the sparkle in the eye and they are like, all right, I'm investing in you because you look like you've got it and you want it. And so there've been a lot of people, I mean, my parents have been huge, but there've been plenty of other people. Like yeah. it takes a village, right? <laughs> Well, it's just so interesting to think about those moments when all someone had to say was like, I see you, I see your potential, I believe in you. And that's all it takes to literally up level your idea of who you could be. You know, like you you could have the talent and everything all along, but to have someone truly see who you are and like your potential is everything. Yeah. And I think it's, Especially, I think it's especially when it's a non-family member yeah. and you kind of get this external validation that you, you're you important and what you're doing is great. And, you know, it's more objective when it doesn't come from your parents. So you're like, you have to say it's that. It's like, you think Thanks, I'm great, Mom. I know, but yeah, like exactly. <laughs> or, you know, teachers and, you know, teachers who are, you know, I know that I got 
I got a lot of affirmation from just the ability to balance and be really um, disciplined in balancing schoolwork and racing. So like my sophomore yeah. year of high school, I raced on Wednesday nights. And so I had to fly to Indiana on Wednesday mornings, race Sorry, on Wednesday what? night. Yeah. From New York City and then flew back Whoa. on Thursday morning. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, I had to maintain my grade point average. Wow. So Yeah. So but like. I knew I could do it and my parents expected that I could do it. But to have um, one of my counselors just point out like, that's really, really incredible what you're doing. I'm like, awesome. Okay, cool. I can keep doing it. Like it's expected. Yo, to have the focus. At, oh, how old were you? I guess 16. Yeah. What I was, what was I doing when I was 16? I mean, truly like crying over a boy. I mean, to I did that music. too. But- <laughs> I know, but you know what? That would have, at that time, I, I let that run my world, like the, the mm-hmm. stupid, I mean, it's not stupid, but it just is, it's just so far below my potential. You know what I mean? And it's fine. Cause I feel like I've kind of evolved later in life and even stronger, but it's, it's so interesting to me when a, a kid, a teen is so dedicated and focused on what they want to do and what truly brings them joy and like fire. I'm in awe. Oh, thank I'm you. Awe. I can't, I can't take all the credit though, because I, th- I think this is where parenting is so difficult. It kind of oh depends on the kid. Cause like there's a very fine line between parents, you know, pushing to encourage their kids, you know, do what they want and yes. love with and dedicate versus mm-hmm. be a helicopter parent and be like, you're going to be successful. You know, you're, you need to do this for your success. And, and I know that we slowed down racing a little bit at certain points of my you know, career when I needed to focus on other things, you know, getting into college was something that was really important to me. And I did not do a bunch of racing in that summer. I did some, but not a ton. And so, yeah, but I mean, I also know I'm a very, I I think I'm just a disciplined person. That's a trait that I am so grateful for. What's your sign? When were you born? Scorpio. Oh, you're a Scorpio. I'm a Scorpio. Cool. Yeah. Why is that cool? (laughs) Because I love Scorpios. My best friend is a Scorpio. nice. Yeah. Yeah. Almost 30 nation. Take note. <laughs> Julia is a Scorpio. What do you have? What do you think? I want all of your comments. I want all of your it's thoughts. It's so good. Okay. I want to talk about um, the transition to going to college, going to Stanford. I know a lot went on and I also know you were in school while you were on Survivor. Like you mm-hmm. kind of took time off like not really and this is going to be a testament to my discipline yeah i um you just flew back and forth no i didn't no i stayed on the island um (laughs) no but we um they kind of told me that when i knew that i was accepted i kind of they gave me a window of when i was going to leave and it was what do you mean like when we would fly out to location okay um and so it was vague enough where if like it was on the later end of the window i could probably get a lot of my schoolwork in and we're on the quarter system so it goes spring Mm. goes from like march to beginning of june um and i knew that it was like somewhere in may that they were going to have us fly out and i was just like well i don't really i don't really want to take off a quarter and then have them change their mind because they can change you know you don't you don't you don't don't know that you've made it yeah so i was like i don't want to take off and then be behind and then not actually get on survivor and then i was also like but like I kind of need to be finished by week five of the quarter. And I found three professors, two that went towards my major where I went to them. I was like, Hey, so I have to do this racing thing at the end of the quarter and I'm not going to have reliable internet when I'm doing it. So I just, can I do all of the quarters work in five weeks? 
Wow. And I found three that said yes. And uh, I had class Monday through Wednesday and I worked my butt off and I got done. It wasn't my strongest quarter, but I got it, it, done. it allowed me to finish one quarter early, actually. What made you want to be on Survivor? Tell me everything. So when you think about the show and it's like... I think about women, all the things. Well, I mean, it's miserable. So it's miserable. Yeah. But like the bugs in my butt crack and like mm-hmm. the fact that I can't take a shower and all oh, the things. Yeah. I mean, but also like not eating as much as I would. <laughs> in a it's a great diet. If <laughs> you need to lose diet. weight, drink salt water and Bucked rice. Up. Yeah. Eat rice. Um, But I mean, I just... the. The women who thrived on the show were super mm. badasses. Yeah, so I mean, badass. so strong, dealt with adversity, you're physically uncomfortable. And, you know, it, it wasn't lost on me that it was a TV show that would potentially help my racing career. Exactly. I don't like, think that's it what did. I'm, I'm thinking, like, in terms of <laughs> yeah, just racing publicity. career, but also, like, going for the million-dollar prize. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're fighting for a million dollars, and it's like, there's really no downside yeah. in my mind. I uh, learned a lot about authenticity on the show, though. I kind Tell of concealed, because I wanted to upplay my racing, I concealed that I went to Stanford. So mm. I just said I was a racer. And so I kind of had to lie about what my day-to-day was like. And I realized that I would go to contribute to a conversation or tell stories. And I realized it would blow my cover. And like, you do not want to be seen as deceiving on the show. So I ended yeah. up just kind of being a little quieter. And I got the quote-unquote boring edit. And um, the eventual winner went on this monologue about how vanilla I was, but how it was a disservice to say that I was vanilla to this, to the flavor of vanilla. It was a bit disservice. So it was just like, wow, you just keep twisting that Whoa. knife, bud. Like That's this crazy. is awful. And 9 million people saw it. So that was my claim to fame. Wait, but she's too vanilla. Wait, what? Okay. Just cause I was, I was like, I, I knew was you a little were quiet. holding, yeah, yeah, you were and so it just, back. and I was the youngest person out there. You're being thrown into. You don't know if you're going to survive. I was homesick. I'd never. Where been were you in the Philippines? Okay, and it's just like I don't know. I would go back and not conceal Stanford, and I think I probably would have been a little more comfortable, um, which I think would have just yeah. helped my. But I also it was um, it was a big lesson. It just made me really be introspective and like, okay, what do I think I'm conveying to other people? And there were some themes where. Like I noticed that maybe what I was trying to project like on my social media wasn't quite penetrating the audience that I would have liked. And I realized that I probably was in an effort to try to please everyone. Um, you know, how do you, how does this New York City college educated race car driver fit? Like it's not, I don't fit a mold. And in trying to kind of, ta- uh, you know, tick all the boxes, it was like kind of diluting my personality and just not being authentic enough. So, I mean, it's been a process. It takes years to get for, it took years for me to get comfortable kind of having more of my own voice and being okay. It's called just like life. Yeah. It's like, I think about that all the time. Just like the years I spent not really speaking my truth or speaking up. It doesn't mean like fighting against something. It's just in everyday conversation saying how I feel and being truthful. Yeah no white lies, you know, and finding ways to relate to others. And what I found really, I feel like now I'm pretty confident walking into a room and I feel whether you show up somewhere and just, you know, give a little snippet into your personal life or, Mm. you know, just comment on something stupid that then someone else in the room can relate to. And like the most dumb thing I ever did in that capacity was like, I was speaking at this event, a small networking event. And I had just not eaten vegetables recently and they had this huge vegetable platter. And I was just like going to town. I was so excited. And the woman next to me was like, you're so weird. But then she started talking to me. And it's like, okay, if I'm approachable, yeah. that leaves a lasting impression on people. And I've been comfortable being a little more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. 
Thanks, Survivor. Yeah, thank you, Survivor. Truly. Even though it was so painful Wait, in the moment. Me, like, take <laughs> two seconds on like the weird shit about Survivor. Like, what are you eating? What are you sleeping on? What are the conversations like when the cameras aren't on you? I mean, it's very authentic. Like, we had our bag of rice. We lost all the challenges. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, and sorry. it was new place, new players versus old players. And so we just got. Oh. We were really close in a lot of the challenges, but just they had that. They knew like they'd they done knew. it before. If you've done it before, you're going to be better. Um, so yeah, lost a lot of weight, rice, water, coconuts, you know, stuff. Like how did you But manage? if you drink too much coconut water, it's really not good for your bowels. Really? It's just like liquid. Oh, it's so bad. And everyone's body is doing, everyone's bodies are doing their own thing. And oh, like whether it's your period or your oh, poop. Yeah. And that is what we talk about. Literally like. You know, when we don't That's have it. a challenge, it's like food. <laughs> you guys shit my today. Poop. Damn. I mean, people's poop did weird stuff. Really? Like different colors, different consistencies. Oh, it's so gross. And where are you going in the So ground? we had an oat well, so on one of my on one of my tribes, we had a really or one of the camps, we had a really long beach. And so we just there was a boulder that kind of separated the beach and we we're like, all right, go to the other side. And I learned that you do not poop in the ocean in high tide because it floats right back to you. <laughs> you learn that once and you never make that mistake. Um, and then on the other, the other beach I was on, we had to dig holes. Okay. And do you use tampons or no? They make sure that your medical needs are okay. met. Okay. That's good. I mean, but sometimes your period lasts way longer than it normally does because your body's in such really? an upset. So some of us had our periods for wow majority of the time we were out there, which was three weeks. So, oh wow, yeah, good times. Damn. So you the body's a weird thing. It's like crazy. never underestimate the body's power to totally rebel on you. So don't piss your body off. How long did it take for you to recover? Um. So I I had lost. 12 pounds. And for the listeners who don't know me, I'm five, five and not particularly heavy. Yeah. I'm pretty, pretty, pretty pretty athletic build. Um, and I lost, or I lost 14 pounds. Wow. And a lot of it was water weight. So I put six pounds on within two days, which it didn't feel as bad as I thought it was going to, but then it takes a little while to get the solid foods, lots of food down. Mm -hmm. But I would say by two or three weeks out, I was feeling good. And then I had to do all my strength training again and rehab to get back in the car. So I guess I got back in end of June and I was racing again in August. Okay. Wow. So, okay. So you got kicked off. Got kicked off. The tribe has spoken. The tribe has spoken. I mean, that's really all I want to hear in my life. (laughs) As Jeff say, the tribe has spoken. My friends would incorporate like, we're voting them off the island now (laughs) after it was public. (laughs) Wait, do you know Sam Webb? Um, He was on Survivor and we just had him on, but not because of that. He does something. I don't. Entirely I don't different. Think just, so. just wondering. I didn't know if you guys overlapped. Um, no. Yeah. Was there any like sexual tension on the island? No. No. <laughs> so weird. Everyone's like, "Ew, get away from me." That small. was one of the one of the commentaries from one of the guys was like, "Man, I'm with all these like beauty queens and bikinis, <laughs> and like not turned on at all." Truly. I know you're so depleted so of depleted. any energy. I ha- also had a second degree sunburn on my face. Like it was a bubble that developed. Oh, I read about at, that. Yeah, what the hell? Like pus, like liquid fill. I mean, oh my. Na- like I could, never mind. I'm not going to get that no, detail. No, I mean, it's fine. But like. Just really gross and really awful. And they so don't give you, you just, sunscreen? I'm just going to move on from that question. Yeah, okay. no, yeah, yeah. But they, you definitely get crisp. And um, I'm also, for those of you listening, I'm fairly pale. Yeah. So it, it was. I'm a little nervous for my skin's well-being being yeah, moving forward. Checked. No, but I should. You should. I should. I remember getting some pretty bad fucking burns when I was young, oh, like yeah. 
bubbles on my shoulders, like feeling oh, sick yeah. for two days. Oh yeah. So imagine that but on, on face, an island on your face. Oh, yeah. L- sleeping on bamboo. Cool. I mean, awful. Oh my God. <laughs> well, like now you can do anything. I, I feel Truly. like I'm part of a really cool club now. You drive so. <laughs> a, a, a over 3000 pound car where when it's hot as hell, yeah, ripping around a track, yeah, and you've been on Survivor, yeah, damn. Okay. I'm getting, I I now have a lot more confidence in my physical perseverance than I probably would have otherwise. Truly, that's such a good one. Yeah, yeah, because I feel like people tap out so easy sometimes. They're like, no, it's hard, ah. or like, yeah, I'm uncomfortable. You yeah, know? yeah. I that, I will say I did notice that huge difference pre and post survivor um the ability ability to deal with physical discomfort because like in racing you can deal with it like you have to deal with it for a finite period of time when you're at the track it's super hot at the track a lot of times and um you can deal with that but then you go home to the hotel room and it's like like it rained for a while while we were on the show and or yeah while we were on the island on the show so you know your shit doesn't dry out and like having to stay in wet clothing for days is not good for your skin again your body does some weird shit in that moment but Toes were not pretty for most people. Oh my God. Did you, did you get a pedicure before you went? No, I decided because it was likely going to come off okay. and I wasn't, I don't even know if gel was around at that time. I'm sure it was, but yeah. no, I just kind of, I also got made fun of for my body hair growing back, like my armpit hair. I was Wait, like, what? I am pale and I'm on an island for three weeks. What Wait, do you who's, expect? Who's making fun? Social media trolls. I mean, oh. It, it was also a really good lesson in social media. Yeah, talk to me about that. We talk about that a lot, just how to deal. I hate to say like, it's cheesy, but how to deal with the haters. But it's yeah. it's a real thing, I think, especially it's as you thing. gain like, you know. Yeah, well, and notoriety. at the time I had very little in my favor given my performance on the show. But I mean, it was bad just because, you know, you learned like no one knew what we were going through. No one knew the realities. So it was just like, you, how dare you? <laughs> like put your opinion out there um but it was mean and like i just i made the rule not to react but a lot of times that was really hard like i just wanted to comment back and actually now i've i'm a little more free for myself in terms of responding to some people if some people say i've i I feel like i like engaging with my fans and i interact with the ones who are saying positive things so i'm like well maybe every now and then I can interact with the one saying negative things and just try to like give my perspective. And totally. at the time I wasn't doing that. So it's just like, man, these guys are putting their opinions out there and I can't do anything about it. And talking to people about the comments I was reading was really important for me, like kind of sharing with my friends, sharing with my family. I'm sure. Just, you know, having their positive, um, you know, of course, responses yeah. and just like, you can get through this. And, and then you learn to not read as much as much, but it's really hard because you want to, you want like even just like the exercise of imagining the person on the other side of the mm-hmm. computer or the phone. Yeah. Sitting there taking the time. Oh yeah. They're taking the time to, to rip write, my life apart. <laughs> look at that girl's armpit hair. Oh, do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, do you know what also I had? And mm-hmm. um, um, I was so shocked by this because I did a collaboration with Disney and it was super cool. And they mm-hmm. were promoting Cars 3 and Cars 3 has oh, the cool. first female main character. Yes. And they brought in, it was, you know, they had me and they came and watched me on track. But then they also brought in a two-time cancer survivor who was 12 years old. It was this little girl who also did a form of racing. Oh, wow. And that was the piece. It was around us and it was about her coming to the track and you know me being a role model. And one of the comments was, you need to get some eyelashes. Ew. Other than that, great cause. I was like, oh my God, you are taking- girl? No, just like in a comment on the video on 
on YouTube. Um, but it's like, oh my God, this is a uplifting. Like I'm brought to tears every time I watch the video and it's three minutes. Um, but I was like, wow, you have the audacity to bring the most attention oh. to the fact that I don't have fake eyelashes oh. and, you know, belittle the the message of the video and the empowerment of the video. And the 12, that's so disrespectful. Mm. Take me out of it because I haven't had that kind of tra- trauma in my life. Um, and just focus on the girl. It's like, how dare you? It made me so angry with this woman. And just like, pick your battles, Julia. You. Hurt yeah. people, hurt people, period. Yeah. yeah. Truly. Oh, I haven't heard that one, but I like it. Hurt people. But it's, it's true. true. Like, how can you hurt another human being? It, one, period. Like, how? <laughs> but two, like, there has to be some pattern in their life where mm-hmm. hurting another is either okay or just a habit the norm, or yeah. the norm like oh yeah and it's like mm. i'm i'm totally fine with people disagreeing with me or you know not liking something that i put on but it's the attacking and like i understand obviously we see that in our culture here today left and right um across many different spectrums and across many different issues but like just Attacking and causing harm on others, I just won't ever understand. Yeah. And you just kind of have to pick up and move on and mm. not let it bother you. And luckily, I'm getting to a point where I'm starting to get busy enough and, you know, tired enough that I don't have the energy necessarily to go look at all the comments, which is so liberating. So oh liberating. God. Yeah. Don't have to look. Don't have to look. 100%. Percent. Yeah. Um, talk to me about women in NASCAR. What's yeah. happening? So um, for those of you who don't know, for the past six years, there's been a woman, Danica Patrick, who was raised at the top level of NASCAR. And she retired at the after the Daytona 500 this year. And so there are no, now no women racing at the top level at tier two. And there is occasionally one in tier three. And tier three is what I'm hoping to race at the end of this year into next year. And I think it's just, it's really sad. I think it's really terrible that you know, throughout Danica's tenure, there wasn't enough of a pipeline that facilitated girls and women to continue to climb the ranks. And again, it's not just a, a merit-based sport, it's a financial-based sport. So it, um, you know, it's not just that you can go race really well and do well. I mean, there are so few women in the pipeline, um, like we're talking a handful yeah. of the thousands of guys who are there. So there's not a lot. And I think it's tough that not only that, but from an engineering standpoint, I mean, there are hundreds of people per car that go to the racetrack for the team. So like Jimmy Johnson's team has hundreds of people that are there from crew members to mechanics to engineers to crew chiefs. And there are no female crew chiefs. There's one female lead engineer. And it's just, I think it's a tough culture to break into, but it's just really disappointing that we're not seeing more. And that's why I think my role is so important in the role Mm. of the other women who are climbing the ranks to really make it. And it's like, I don't want special treatment but I just want to be able to get there so that I can make that difference. Because again, if she can see it, she can be it. And we're right back to not being able to see women at the top level of NASCAR. And it's like, if you get there and you get that opportunity, you're going to make them money. I know, right? It's a financial benefit to everyone. So it's it's a tough time and it's a tough time with, um, you know, kind of the entertainment landscape changing, you know, going away from TV, more to digital. I think a lot of industries are struggling with how to balance that and how to deal mm. with that. And NASCAR has longstanding, you know, partnerships with networks. And so it's just, it's a really complicated system. But I think... I think there are, I'm so enlightened and, uh, or not enlightened, but 
happy. I'm blank, totally blanking on the word I wanted hopeful. to use. Hopeful, but also just excited because yeah. there are a lot of people who are just like, man, if you're a good racer, I just want to see you out there. Yeah. Like, you know, or, you know, women can be just as good. Yeah. Like we need to support them. And so for all the haters, there are plenty of people who are like, I want to see this. Like, I want to see more role models for my mm. girls. I want to see women who are able to collaborate with the men. And it's like, that's so great. And it that. warms my heart. And I know and that- that's all you need. That's all you need. And you it's know. like, you know, I think people kind of underestimate how much work goes into being a race car driver. And I mean, especially if you're not financially independent, like really well off or have those connections with teams, you know, you're essentially a startup where you have to, like, I'm the product, yeah. I'm the talent. I, you know, my, me and my small team, we have to do the fundraising, we have to do the marketing, we have to do the brand development, anything you'd have to do for a startup. Um, and so there's so much work that goes in. And it's just to know that, even when I'm super frustrated and when it just seems like, man, let me go get a day job and at least then I'll know I can pay my bills and all mm -hmm. that stuff. But kind of seeing seeing the impact I'm making on others' lives. And even if it's just, you know, I do a lot of motivational speaking. And so even if it's just knowing that one woman came up to me after a talk and said, you know, I see a lot of ways that I'm holding myself back and you just help me identify those. Thank you. If I help one person, it's like, wow, mm. I did it. And I know that I'm in a very privileged position. I've, you know, I was able to do what I loved, which was an expensive sport. And then I was able to go to the school I wanted to go to and, you know, pursue my, my passion. And so it's like, I, there's so much, I feel like I can give back. And even if it's just help, helping people get out of their own way or get the, give them the little kick in the ass that they need. Cause I certainly got plenty of kicks in the ass growing up, which helped me become the person I am today. Sure. So, um, yeah, it makes it all worthwhile in addition yeah, to the it's racing. Like, it's like the purpose and the way that fills you up is so much of the compensation. Yeah. And like so much of like the monetary compensation will follow if you commit to that for the long game. Yeah. You know, like exactly. we think about that with the podcast all the time, you know, we, we could have stopped a while ago and there's just something about connecting with women and having that community and that, and, and hopefully giving them the resources, inspiration, and just like the friendship in a way, you yeah. know, to, to make it through, I think is, you know, the greater purpose. And that's why we're not stopping. And it's so <laughs> important. And even just being here. So I've been in LA for a day now and, yeah. but I've had a handful of meetings and I've been really, really encouraged because I've gone in and I've primarily met with women executives and women, you know, leaders in their companies and, um, you know, the desire to help me and help yeah. others. And I met with a friend who, um, you know, she she mentioned that two executives who she really admired were coming in and she wanted to introduce me to them. And my mental imagery, I'm so embarrassed to say, was two men. I expected two men to walk into wow, the room. Yeah, and it was two, so interesting. but it was two women. Oh. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that's the bomb. So great. Oh, it was, it was in, like just so inspiring. I was like, wow, the people these huge connectors and these powerful people have primarily been women and they want to help other women and they're impressed by other things and just giving back and well, you're attracting those people, you know. Yeah, but I'm just, I'm also just like, wow, this is going to have the ripple effect. Yeah, exactly. It's happening with me and my small circle exactly. right now. And so just to your point that these communities and spaces where women feel like they can come together and that men can, I think, and I think, you know, being in racing where I'm primarily with men kind of, learning how to find those male allies who will help advocate for you. Because yes, a lot of times so in a group of men, most of those men will take a man seriously before they'll take a woman. And gross generalization, but it, it yeah. happens. 
And so being able to use that tool of, okay, this guy respects me and I respect him and he sees my potential and he sees the unfairness of what's going on mm. and being able to have him advocate is a huge skill. And so- Giving you know, men the chance, yeah, I think too. Like, you know, this whole movement is really- um, powerful and important, but I also think about, I'm like, well, there are men out there who do raise women up and who do want to advocate for them. And yeah. so to give them that opportunity, I love that you do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's super important. I mean, like I wouldn't be where I am now if my dad wasn't, you know, the empowered person that he is. And, you know, and, you know, he, and my mom were together and yeah, but just giving, giving the good ones out there, the recognition and encouraging others to be good. Cause at the end of the day, I really feel like communities thrive when everyone's an active participant. And so if we can bring everyone together to bring out their own best selves and work together, like mm. everyone's going to be better off. Yeah. Doesn't seem that hard to me, but yeah, <laughs> easier said than I done. Know. But um, yeah. What scares you? Oh, well on a trivial level, the dark. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, no, but fear is a really interesting thing because, you know, for a while people would ask me like, aren't you scared to go racing? And yeah. I'd always say no, because you can't, you can't like be openly scared and muscling a machine around within inches of a wall at, you know, 180, 190 miles an hour. And then I realized that I was totally wrong. I had lied to everyone who had ever asked me that question because I was really scared. And, it, you know, the first time, the fastest I've gone is 174 miles an hour. And the first time you go that fast, it's like, it catches your attention, right? Mm. Like, will the brakes work when I get to the end? Like, will my car turn? Like, but the the thrill of going that fast is overpowering. And um, I think that's the theme and that I am scared. So I'm totally afraid of failure. You know, I've set the last 15 years of my life, of my 26-year life, to to making this happen. And if it doesn't work on the scale that I wanted to, that's a terrifying thought. But, you know, the excitement and the energy I get from every step of the process is more powerful than mm. that fear. And, like, I get nervous before every race. Like, I have physical knots in my stomach. If I don't, I know that I'm not mentally there, which is terrifying. <laughs> but, yeah. um, so I get scared and I've learned, like, what physically I have to do to kind of you know, downplay the physical symptoms. Mm. And so like I'll sprint to the bathroom and back and that expels enough energy that I'm more calm, Settled but I'm still on body. edge, yeah. but I'm still on edge enough to like be taking it seriously. So I think figuring out what the fear is, figuring out how fear manifests itself in you and then learning how you can use it to be, to, you know, help you and drive you forward. And, you know, deep breathing is a huge thing. And, you know, if I have a call that I'm getting really nervous for, I'll drop and do push-ups. And just like, again, like figure out what you have to do to calm your symptoms a little mm. bit. And at the end of the day, and I find myself being nervous to reach out to people. I find myself being nervous to ask for help sometimes. Like I feel like yeah, it's too self-serving. Talk to me about yeah. like asking for help. And I know that you know, as you want to climb the ranks, it's, you're going to need money. Mm -hmm. So like, what is that process like? And what has been the most challenging thing about it? And two, how can we help you? <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I think, I think to, to finish up the last thought is like when you're scared about all these things or yeah. when you need to ask for help or you're nervous about asking for help, kind of asking yourself, why not? Like if there's a real reason you can give yourself and if you're in tune with your values and your morals and you can't give yourself a good reason why not to do something or why not to ask for help, you have to do it. You owe it to yourself. You'll regret it if you don't. Um, but when it comes for asking for help, I'm getting pretty shameless at this point in my life. But, yeah. um, you know, I think... I think being able to articulate why what I'm doing and why me being a race car driver is valuable to others has been a really, it's been a really um, uh, important way for me to justify 
why I'm and I why mm-hmm. I'm doing this. And I think I I don't know if this is a woman thing about feeling like asking for help and me going racing is like a self serving thing, um, and that crosses my mind. But I know how much good it's already doing for other people, and whether that's from just an emotional standpoint or you know eventually it'll be from a financial standpoint. There is a lot of ROI involved in getting behind an empowered woman who's advocating for others, and um, so. I think I get you just I get super scared and nervous, but at the end of the day, I just I prepare. So when I'm asking for help, I try to do as much research about who I'm talking to so that mm. I can trigger, you know, or tap into more emotional triggers to get that that human relationship going. Yeah. Um, I also kind of do all the prep needed to justify why I'm asking. And sometimes it doesn't you don't have to do that. Sometimes you totally over prepare, but I have to ask. And then I'm getting to the point where I realize if I don't ask for help, I'm not going to get what I want. And so you just, I think you just kind of cross this line where it's like your bullshit, you know, tolerance goes way down and you're like, I can't make excuses anymore. If I don't do this, if I don't ask and at least try, then it's certainly not going to happen. And then I'm the one who has to live with that. So I don't want to live with that personally. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. So much of it is just overcoming that doubt and that judgment and it re- like, what is it? I don't even know if it, it exists obviously, but it's on such a, um, I don't know. It's like, it's on the surface. It's almost like you can scratch it off. It is. And like, because your, your, your purpose and your presence and all of that is so much greater and so much more three-dimensional than that fear. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think, and it's also just a practice. It's the practice. more you do it, then you're like, yeah, okay. But like you, you you do it so you don't have that what if. Well, yeah, and that's and that's anything, whether like, you know, I was really nervous about parking in like grocery store parking lots when I first got my license. Like that terrified me. And, yeah. he, and like, even though I race, like I have a spotter, they tell me where to go, yeah. like in the pits, you know? <laughs> so it's like, I didn't have the experience and that terrified me. It's like, you know, you practice and you get better. It's the same thing if you're, you know, for a long time, I was pitching my own speaking gigs and just, you know, cold calling. Sure. And just like, it's so nerve wracking to basically say, hey, I think you should hire me because I think I can help your cause. It's like, you got to be pretty confident in yourself. Absolutely. And I was super nervous to do that. And then super nervous to negotiate my fee and everything. And it's like, you practice, you get better. And then you also, I have found that in getting the feedback of how valuable what I'm saying is, it's like, yeah, I'm justified in asking for my fee or demanding my fee, however you want to look at it, Mm -hmm. because it is providing value. And Taylor Swift, I think when she was like pulling her stuff from Spotify, she was saying that like, you know, we're... We're artists and we provide value to others and therefore we deserve to be compensated at no matter, no matter what level. And that stuck with me. Like whether, like what, no matter what you think about her, it's true that if you're providing value to others and it's in a professional sense, especially, or if it's, you know, unless you're, unless you have the intention of being philanthropic or charitable or a volunteer, which is important too. But if you're not going in with that intention, you're providing value. You should be compensated for your value. And having that mindset was a huge shift for me in terms of everything I've gone after from a financial standpoint. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I didn't know she did that. Yeah. I'm like living under a rock clearly, but I didn't know I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. So I- Are you going to the concert? I'm not going to the okay. concert. Okay. Well, sorry. <laughs> rubbing it in. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, but it's true. And I think, I think like, yeah, it's just, it's true. If you're providing value, you should be compensated That's for That's a really good piece of advice for our girls. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Remember that, everyone. 
because, you know, value comes in so many different shapes and sizes and some people just because they're providing a new type of value don't have the blueprint in front of them to really follow and be like, well, no one's ever done it. So I don't, just don't feel like I can ask for the money or I don't think I can ask for the support Yeah, because will people believe it and will they like stand behind it? You'll never the know. Answer, unless, exactly. You'll the never answer know is you'll you never ask. know if yeah. you don't try. And also just like standing in that light, be confident. You yeah. know, it's obviously a practice, but yeah, you're such, such a good example for this. Yeah, thank you. And yeah. I think also like, People appreciate chutzpah and people appreciate... Hell yeah. And they appreciate people who are confident and ask what they want. Oh, and back to, again, I feel like even though I preach all this stuff, I still find myself falling into the stereotypes of how we view men versus women. Mm. And I was at a meeting earlier and the woman I was talking with, she was saying like, oh, I have this great idea. And I realized I had not regularly heard women, you know, pronounced to a group that they have a great idea. They have, like, I have an idea. I've heard men say I have a great idea. I was like, wow, she said that with such confidence. I want to be this woman. Like, this is so awesome. She's an expander for you. Yeah. And I was just like, You know when you see women, like, stand in their light and you're like, I could do that. Yeah. I mean, and just, like, you know, it's also really humbling. It's like, I feel like I'm pretty empowered from a women's standpoint, but there's so much you can learn. And there's, you know, I want to be as confident she was mm. in that room and and so it's like stuff to look up to so you can always take something from someone you can always learn from someone and yeah. even I mean she's a super beneficial person but just like wow I have a great idea you're right it was a great idea that's incredible yeah last question for me I I think a lot about like how spirituality plays into anything that anyone does and it doesn't mean going to church mm-hmm. necessarily but especially with a sport like racing mm-hmm. that is so stimulating on mm-hmm. every level. Like what do you have a spiritual practice or a relationship with like something greater than you? And how does that play into um, your success as a, as a driver? Yeah. And I think that's a great question. It's so important. I think no matter what realm you're in, what field you're in, um, I think the way I view it is, you know, having values that are greater than myself that that put me as a small position in a greater situation or figuring out where you know how I want to be treated following a lot of you know 10 commandments like treat people the way you want to be treated respect yes. and believing I, I feel like over the past few years I've really learned to kind of believe in fate a little more and mm. have have more faith that things happen for a reason and it's not really letting go of control, but it's understanding that the world falls together a certain way for a reason. And I don't think I always appreciated that. Like, I think I always wanted to have certainty to know how things were going to happen. Like, I, I never liked the idea of predeterminism, for instance, because I just felt like, well, this really makes my part in this life less significant if, like, mm. if it's going to happen anyway. So I feel it's a weird balance. And I think, but yes, I mean, you know, there's something else that drives us. There's something greater than ourselves that I think helps lead us. And I think, I think it's a fairly private matter for me. And, but it's, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's there. And I don't, I find it harder to label in a certain way just because it's, it's, yeah, it's like personal relationship, like gut feeling, like mental feeling, intuition. And, and, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It it would be pretty damning and fairly arrogant, I think, to not feel that there's something greater out there. Mm. 
but in any capacity, again, that's it's uh, it is what you make it. And I think, I think, um, you know, trying to be as compassionate, empathetic, um, understanding, while still being ambitious and you know generous and you know determined altogether, it all plays. I mean, people are weird, and the world's a weird place, and like yes. figuring out how we fit in it. But but yeah, there are definitely guiding lights there that mm. hard to pinpoint, but they've got to be there, you know? Uh, made me think one last question. <laughs> <laughs> Part B, thinking about like the feminine energy, mm-hmm. because I feel like a lot of the time, and Kristen and I have talked about this, just having to kind of stand in our more masculine energy to get things done, mm-hmm. right? And, and be heard mm-hmm. and seem grounded mm-hmm. that we kind of have to have that. And so like, how do you feel like your feminine energy, the divine feminine has been beneficial in your industry? Oh, I think it's been great. And it's funny because um, uh, one of my friends who I lived with for about seven months, her name's Michelle. She, I mean, I feel like she really helped me bring out that feminine Mm. energy. And I think her energy is fantastic. And she is one of the most compassionate people I've ever met. And I think that that kind of understanding where others are coming from and Mm. the being able to, to in a not totally like self-destructive way, but just put other needs first, especially if they're just more important or they need that attention. Um, I think it's really helped with the interpersonal relationships with the people in the industry. Again, if I can make people feel special, I'm going to then, or just important or cared for or something, whether that's a crew chief, whether that's a mechanic, whether that's an executive, yeah. like that's going to be better, better for me, um, you know, Absolutely. and that relationship building. But I think also, I don't know, there's something, it's it's kind of cool to be the feminine one in a masculine crowd and it's just, it's different so and it keeps it, it keeps it exciting even like, and I mean that like, just like a platonic way, yeah. but it's just, you know, it's something different and you I bring a so different too. perspective and it's been fun to, especially with some of the younger racers and like kind of show like another way a woman could be in their life and it's just, I don't know, and that, that goes beyond racing, that's just. That's so interesting too, I'm, I didn't yeah. think about that. Well, think about that. Well, yeah, and you know, just to be so different, kind of redefining what what female means to some people is really cool. They might not like it all the time, yeah. but but I think it's I think it's exciting. It is exciting. You're changing the world, and I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Truly, it's really incredible. Thank you. And I know that not only are you going to inspire our community, but I know you're constantly inspiring up and coming female drivers. And I hope so. You know, hopefully there will be a day and, and female is such a proud part of who you are, but I hope that won't be like, you know, the only part of the headline. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I totally you're, know what you mean. You're a NASCAR, NASCAR driver. driver. Yeah. And I think that Period balance is really important. And, and real quick, one last point was just that, you know, people debate, you know, do you talk about the being a female something? And I think right now, because we are not at equal, it is really important. important. I know. And to have help people maybe understand some of their feelings that they can't really figure out if like if other women go through some of that stuff like when Danica this year was I feel like the first time she really kind of was more public about some of the things she went through as a racer as her personal experience and I was like oh my god I went through all that too like wow she talked about the respect from the team part I was like yes me too and that was really powerful you know so I think I think that's empowering others is really important. So 
being vulnerable, speaking your truth. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And going and kicking butt when you have to. Hell yeah. Yeah. So what's next? Tell us like, what can we, can we see you racing? What's going on in in terms of like fundraising? Yeah. So right now we're, we're finalizing, we're, we're continuing to raise funds for racing and it's just, it's really expensive. And, um, we're, you know, talking with corporations. We're also talking with some individuals. So really just needing to build up the, I mean, it's, it's millions of dollars to go racing just as like a, like one race or just like a season for the season, Season. for the season. season. And so we're, we're piecing together. We hope to be racing by, you know, the second half of the 2018 season and really get a full thing for 2019. But it's really tough and it's, it's you know, hard to not be in the car. But um, I'm, you know, my team and I are, my manager and, you know, personal team are working really hard and we've got a lot of hopefully promising uh, things coming up. And, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm moving around a lot. So uh, that's great. constantly on the road and never giving up. Awesome. As cliche then, as it sounds. but No, truly. But I mean, you can't. You can't. You know, you, if I don't do it, no one else will is my opinion. So I gotta go do it. Yeah. So if anyone out there, yeah, if anyone wants (laughs) to, wants their brand (laughs) on a NASCAR car, please contact almost 30 podcast at gmail.com. We'll forward it to you. Please please do. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Thanks for the plug there. I appreciate it. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you never know. You never know. You honestly never know who's listening and how people can help and how their story connects to yours. And I just... And it really is a full story with like, you know, not just like stuff on the car, but what we propose to, you know, potential partners is like, you know, how do you, how can you use me, you know, uh, from a company standpoint, what would your employees benefit from me? Like would messaging. So it's, it's really, we get to be really creative in how we pitch me um, Mm, for different things and like personal services and stuff. So it's, it's a really fascinating business endeavor as well. Um, And I've definitely learned a lot. So. How can people connect with you? You can totally reach out on social media at Julia Landauer for a lot of things. And, you know, info at Julia Landauer. We we love hearing from everyone. So um, thank you so much for having me. This was such a great discussion. So good. So So good. good. And I want to come see you. Oh, you totally will. I will let you know. So I went to my first indie. It was down in Long Beach. They shut down the Indie Grand Prix. Yeah. Yeah, Indie Grand Prix. It, guys. Okay. I went with a boy, obviously. It was real fun. Yeah. Um, but w- I was like, so in my, I was literally in my own world. Mm-hmm. I was so, I was stimulated, not only on a physical, physical level. I was like, I was taking to another planet and I was just taking everything in. Cause I wanted to be really present because I'd never mm-hmm. been before. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I was thinking about being in that car and just like the concentration that it took the like sense of being in your body and the adrenaline. Yeah. Like I was, I was kind of not taking on exactly what everyone was feeling, obviously, but I was just (laughs) kind of like imagining because it is so loud. It's so loud. It It vibrates like the ground vibrates. vibrates. It is very electric. And I think, yeah, I'm so glad that you had that experience. It is so different to be at the track than it is to watch it on TV and just like, it's I mean, exciting as hell. The I was smells, the sounds, yes. the feelings. I mean, it's so intense. And like the, there was a few crashes, nothing yeah. super serious, but I mean, that's always a reality. Oh yeah. You know? So I was like, just 
so in awe. Of I'm so glad to hear on. that. So I'm going to be at your, anything yes. that I can go to. We'll uh, get you all I the hot passes. James, we're going to, we're going to yeah. fly to her next year. Yes, I love it. <laughs> you and me and Krista. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for being on. Thank we you love for you having so much. me. And I know our community is going to freak the frick out uh, as always, but um, thank you guys for listening and for subscribing, rating and reviewing on iTunes. You know that um, it means the world to us and we read every review truly. And we're so thankful. And uh, we are in the middle of our summer tour right now. So um, Which congrats, by the way, oh, thanks. I mean, it's the best. This is truly like why we do this is to connect with the people. It's, it's crazy. So thank you guys. And please, if we haven't been to your city yet, reach out to us. Um, you can find our tickets on almost30podcast.com under the tour tab. And yeah, so rock on. I mean, I'm just in awe. I need to like, I need to like come <laughs> down from this. Cause I'm just Aww. like imagining like a fellow female fucking kicking ass. Oh, that's, that's the goal. And that's the plan. Stores. It's so, crazy. Thank you. Oh, this She's is only great. 26. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. We love you. Have a great week. Julia Landauer, everyone. Wow. I want to go see her drive. I want to see her drive. <laughs> you should see her workout. She does these little Insta stories and she sits in front of the TV at like a simulated race course and she'll hold like a weight, you know, like a big round weight and drive because you have to build the arm strength. And she'll do this also in like a sauna setting. I was watching her story the other day. I was like, I want to do that. Isn't that crazy technology? It's crazy. How... It's crazy how athletes are getting so much smarter about how they train, mm. you know? And like before you just play and then go off the field. Now people are like doing so much with recovery. It's fascinating it's to think fascinating. to like put a tennis player from 1970 next mm -hmm. to one now mm -hmm. and like the number one and the number one mm -hmm. then and now. People are so much more fit. They're so much more conscious. Like mm -hmm. so many people are like eating so much better and recovery and all of that. But yeah, I need to, I need to watch that. I, this actually, I've already, I've just listened to this episode because I haven't listened to it yet. So mm -hmm. at this moment in time, I've listened. Fascinated. Fascinating. Um, all right. We love you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Share this episode and any others that- Oh, I want to share the review of the week. I've been doing that to you. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Okay. Fucking amazing. Five stars. Walking down the street, listening to this podcast through my AirPod headphones, hidden by my hair, laughing to myself, and people think I've gone mentally insane is all worth it true honest raw hilarious and never a dull moment on this one thanks Brittany. Brittany sandberg from canada mm. thanks sweet honey what a sweet welcome to the loony bin girl welcome to the because we're all bin. just kind of laughing at the wrong times anyway mm -hmm. very <laughs> the inappropriate in. you're the best um all right guys thanks your reviews mean so much so if you haven't reviewed please do so on itunes um we read them on the show yeah all right. We will see you next Tuesday. Enjoy your weekend. We love you. Bye.